Ask any Palestinian, what do you want? We don't want anything. We want freedom. We want liberation. This is Noor Chowdhury from Human Aid and Advocacy, a humanitarian organization that's turning the charity sector on its head. The misunderstanding is that charities believe that they cannot be political. We spoke about how there's a revolution coming in the charity sector as more and more Muslims wake up to an important fact. We provided that guidance mm. that clarifies directly from the Charity Commission that a charity can be political. All part of this episode of Empowered by Islam 21C, our new weekly podcast where we collaborate with leading voices to discuss Islam solutions to 21st century challenges and trends. The attacks are taking place upon the hospitals, the, the figures that keep on rising in terms of the death toll. So the situation is the worst we've seen since 1948. For most of us in our living memory, the situation that's taking place in, in Gaza at the moment is uh, extremely difficult. Even from our own team members, we've had 11 members of our own team on the ground who have been killed, became shaheed. So it's a very difficult situation um, in, in our history. I think in most even organizations and charities in their history, they've not seen the situation be as bad as it is right now. So the deficitization is, is just um, something we've not seen before. However, I think I do always like to point out that while it's been so hard for the people, the high death tolls that we've seen in such a short space of time, I've never seen this amount of hope and resilience. Wow from the people mm -hmm. either. We have to factor that in as well. While it's difficult for us to see our own mothers, uh, our sisters, our, our children, our fathers being um, being killed indiscriminately, what we're seeing at the same time is so much resilience and that gives us hope as well. I think that's an important aspect because it's quite easy for us to feel de dejected, feel down, like there's no hope. But when we see the people, we're seeing a lot of resilience. And I think that's one of the key things that's also bringing about a lot of people who are looking into Islam as well. And we're seeing a high number of, of those kind of people who are non-Muslims who are looking into the Quran, who are now accepting Islam as well, off the back of seeing the resilience, the sabr, the gratitude from the Palestinian people. I didn't know that your your own team members were, you know, some of those made shaheed, inshallah. What's the current situation on the ground in terms of humanitarian needs right now? Because we're always seeing the news, okay, there's a there's a pause, there isn't a pause, there's a there's some things that are allowed to go through, there aren't some things that aren't allowed to go through. And then what's what's the current need on the ground in terms of humanitarian? I think the humanitarian aid? need is is clear that you're only getting a trickle of aid that's coming in via the Rafa crossing into into Gaza. I think 20 or trucks or so a day are coming through, but the need is around 200 trucks per day mm -hmm. to come through. So you can see it's literally just... Uh, what, 10% maybe uh, of what the need is, is actually getting in. How most charities uh, like ourselves as well have been operating all this time is that the funds are able to get into the country and aid is being purchased from within the country, the stocks that mm. already exist. But the external aid coming in was always the difficult factor. So we're now seeing with a, a bit of the corridor being opened up, some aid getting in, but it's nowhere near enough what's needed. And what the people really and I read need, that they've been bombing the, the stockpiles as well. They're trying to bomb yeah. stockpiles of aid. And we are, and we've seen some of the trucks even coming in from the UN. It's, it's actually ridiculous. Some of them have been coming in with expired medicines. Some of them have been trucks that are coming full of coffins. You know, so we're seeing actually even those 20 mm. trucks of so-called aid what is within them is, is another question. Um, it's nowhere near enough. The need that most of the people require right now, obviously with shelter, exactly emergency shelter that is required where they can get something. But the real needs they're asking for is medical need, uh, medical assistance. You're looking at food as well. So, you know, hot meals or food that they can go and be, uh, kind of uh, cook themselves. Mm. And the other side is also cash assistance as well, because sometimes some of the needs we won't be able to fulfill. And a lot of the times if you can give the family the cash, they're able to purchase the 
specific items that they need because it's all good at us thinking, okay, let's put yeah. food back together, but there may be other needs, you know, uh, medical no, needs. It could end up hygiene. harming the local economy as well. I heard exactly. something like that. I mean, part yeah. of the genius of zakah Definitely. in Islam is that it's supposed to be given according to the, the nature of the wealth that it was taken from. So if it was taken from your money, it has to be given as money. And that also kind of boosts the local, you know, economy and it's spent in the in the areas that are you know where money is needed and and, and it helps to increase economic activity. So what has human aid and advocacy been doing on the ground? You you know you mentioned um, a few yeah. a few things there. Yeah, I think the main thing that we've been providing is been cash assistance, uh, food, hot food, hot food, um, as well as uh, medical assistance as well. Uh, primarily uh, and right now as well, water as well. So they're the key four things that we've been providing in terms of humanitarian assistance on the ground. In terms of the the kind of the, the work that we've been doing before, one of the key things we've obviously heard about is Al-Shifa Hospital. Uh, we've been supporting Al-Shifa Hospital for uh, for a number of years. We've been supporting specifically one of the wards in the emergency department, providing the doctors and nurses, the medical equipment and the support there. So we saw in the news, obviously, how Al-Shifa has been specifically targeted and called out with these false allegations. And again, providing that support. So we provide a lot of medical assistance, um, medical equipment to the hospital, um, to the patients, as well as those outside, uh, cash, food uh, and water. So that's been the main humanitarian need. Um, mm. I'm sure we're going to come on to a bit more really in terms of, you know, the I mean, other side. A of lot the of people, a lot of people, I mean, we always, we always should encourage humanitarian aid, especially when it's needed as an acute crisis or something. But a lot of people have this feeling that, you know, what 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 does aid actually do? I mean, obviously it saves lives and it's very important, but what's the long term solution here in your in, in your eyes? I think it's one of the things that we've been calling for for a long time, um, and even when we rebranded coming under the name of human aid and advocacy. The clear need is that aid is 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 very much just something that keeps the people alive, keeps them going, and it's important. We we must continue to provide that aid. Without doubt, we're not trying to diminish. Um, the need for it. However, mm. when you ask any Palestinian, uh, what do you want? So they turn around and they've said, we don't want food, we don't want water, we don't want anything. We want freedom. We want liberation. So that's the mm. one. Obviously, there is a still a need for food, water, so we're not denouncing that need. But what's mm. the real one? What's the solution? And as charities, we should always be looking at what does the beneficiary need? Um, and not that not thinking we know what is best and providing it for them, but rather what is it that they want. And mm. when we understand what they want, we can then provide them and match up, you know, the resources, support them in what they want. Now, we've said it for a long time, but humanitarian aid is simply a plaster over a wound. You know, it's a band aid, as we say in America, a band aid over a deep wound or a bullet wound. It provides a temporary kind of pause. It provides some relief, but it does not resolve the situation in the end. And another kind of analogy that we've always used was what we are seeing, unfortunately, in the lands where Muslims are being oppressed through occupation, war, or other sort of dhulm, that if we look at an analogy that we see a man who's laying there on the floor and you have the foot of the oppressor on his neck subduing him subjugating him and all we are seeing from the aid sector is charities coming along totally ignoring the foot on the neck the actual big elephant in the room 
and just providing some food into the mouth mm-hmm. of that oppressed person, keeping them alive, and then going away. Now, some may even say that all we're doing is fattening up, you know, the lamb for slaughter, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not really the long-term solution. And I think everybody knows it. And in this current situation that's taking place in Gaza, in Palestine, even the masses, the general people who are not maybe involved within charities are also clearing, clear to see that aid is not the solution alone. And we have a lot of people, alhamdulillah, actually questioning, are you able to get the aid in? Uh, what's the, yeah. what, you know, what, what will the aid do? And we're seeing a lot more people becoming vocal and understanding the need to also have advocacy. If we look at our situation here in the West, what else can we do? Yes, alhamdulillah, we have those things of make dua, very important. Give sadaqah, of course, alhamdulillah, important. But those two aspects alone cannot be the only solutions that we provide to our oppressed brothers and sisters. So we have to also use whatever means Allah has given us. And in this case, it's using our voice. But I mean, a charity might argue, you've probably heard this a million times, that well, we're a charity, we're a humanitarian aid organization, what can we do? All we, all we can do is, you know, provide that food, that temporary, you know, um, respite, some medicine here or there. What do you say well, to them? Well, to the charities who say that we can only do this, a lot of the time is actually it's a false understanding or a misunderstanding that takes place as to what a charity can do. Um, recently, alhamdulillah, since the start of this um, current onslaught on Gaza, uh, we did pr- publish a guidance specific for Muslim charities on how they can use their voice to speak up. Mm-hmm. Um, charities have a massive platform. You know, if we look at it, charities are known. They have thousands, hundreds of thousands of donors, of people who donate, who support, who follow. Now it's important that we use as individual charities that leverage that we have, that support that we have in order to raise our voices and to advocate for the long-term solutions that are required in Palestine uh, and across other Muslim nations where there's oppression taking place as well. Now in terms of uh, the the charities, the misunderstanding is that charities believe that they cannot be political, i.e. they must be apolitical. And this is where the confusion comes in. And we provided that guidance mm-hmm. that clarifies directly from the Charity Commission what a charity can do, i.e. a charity can be political. The kind of politics that you can't get involved in is the partisan political, you know, the, the party politics, i.e. Yeah. you can't be a charity saying we support Labour or we support the Conservatives, vote for them, and they do actions like this. This is not uh, uh, permitted. However, if your beneficiaries that you serve um, need further support and that's political support, then you can provide that. That means using your voice, um, campaigning, lobbying. lobbying. Charities mm. can do all of this. It can't be the primary function of the charity, but it can be a function of the charity. And on top of that, the commission even specifically states that you can even use controversial language and controversial statements as long as there's facts behind it. So what today is deemed controversial is what? Calling something a genocide, uh, calling uh, the, the Israeli regime an apartheid regime, a colonizer, and these kind of words will be what you would deem as controversial. However, they are all grounded in facts. If you reference back to most of the UN resolutions and things that have come out from yeah. Human Rights Watch, they've called the Israeli regime an apartheid state, um, conducting genocide, uh, illegal Israeli settlements and colonization. So we can use these terminologies and it's all permitted within charity law. And I think this is the key part that charities need to be able to speak up. 
uh, and why? Because they are able to. And number two is they have a duty. I think right now, anybody who isn't speaking up is being called out by the Muslim community. And I think that's an important, yeah. it's, a, it's a very fantastic thing that's happening. That anybody who's remaining silent, they're being called out. That right now is clear. You have to take a side against what's taking place. You have to be either on the side of truth and justice, or you're on the side of oppression, you know, the oppressors. And we mm -hmm. can't be as Muslims, be, we have to always be on the side of truth and justice. And I think that is the most important thing that we can be doing right now as charities, is that we can use our voice to support those beneficiaries that we are trying to support with our voice, with the advocacy, with the lobbying, alongside the providing of aid. Unfortunately, it's, it's a symptom of a deeper problem of one of our, you know, I guess in the past, he said, when Muslims have inherited cowardice, you know, that we, we overly police ourselves. We, there's a really good book called um, 20 Lessons on Tyranny from the 20th Century by Timothy Snyder. And he mentions one of the lessons is don't volunteer, something along the lines of don't volunteer acquiescence, don't volunteer, you know, uh, compliance to uh, a, a culture or a norm or a system that might go to, to tend towards tyranny. You know, people silencing themselves from speaking out and so forth, whether it's a local masjid or, you know, charity organizations, it's very difficult to have that courage to put your neck on the line when you have millions of pounds of aid going through your account, when you have, um, you know, a building, a masjid that people are praying at, and people might, you know, feel naturally that, that fear that well, if I speak out, if I make a noise now, then, and it's not an unfounded fear. We've seen charities, um, we've, or, or organizations, bank accounts being shut down because of, you know, obviously Islamophobia and independent racism. But what is your advice to those charities? I mean, we don't want, we, we want them to be brave and courageous, but how do you not go into that, the other extreme, which is just recklessness? And what, so what, what does your, what does your uh, advice to charities which I assume includes mosques as well. You know, if mosques are charities that that serve the Muslim community, they are supposed to be, you know, um, involved in political matters that serve their community. What's your advice to them in terms of beyond just you know be more political, be more mm. uh, involved? I think the advice has always been that we're not calling for recklessness. We're not calling for you know um, statements which can cause problems to the charities or the organizations. Rather, we're saying that you should be able to speak up. Now, a lot of them rightly so may not know how to. I think that was one of the key things that we provide in the guidance, some model statements that you can use mm -hmm. that are perfectly fine um, in order to basically pu uh, push out that message and that support. The mm -hmm. main thing that I say to organizations is this, is at least start changing your language. You know, take incremental steps. We're not going to expect an organization that's here, starting to jump to here in, in how they speak, is going to be a journey that you take. But the main thing yeah. is that you have the will and the desire to do so. Now, why is that important? Because as organizations, remember, you are a trustee of an organization. You are a management of an organization. This is an amana that you have, and you are accountable for how you are fulfilling that amana. And mm -hmm. that amana means fulfilling the needs of your beneficiaries. Now, if they're masajids, then the beneficiaries are the musallis. And the musallis want that guidance, need that support. So therefore, you need to be able to give that clarification and clarity, guidance, advice and support. Charities are the same. Your beneficiaries are those maybe, in this case, if you're working in Palestine, the Palestinians. What do they need? They need your support, not just the aid. It's also wider support. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Now, the key part of it that I really did come to is we have to remember why was your organization set up? What is the purpose of your organization? Mm -hmm. And sometimes in the society we live in now, we understand about brand, brand value, organization value. Now, once you've created a brand, suddenly that brand has a value. It's, it's, that entity now has a value. And along that journey, the, the, the most important thing is you have to remember what was your mission purpose? Why do you exist? And along the journey, if you, have, if you stop fulfilling your reason of being, your existence, and now look at the, your existence is, or your mission is to preserve your organization, then you've moved off it. I think that's the key part that we find masajids or, or charities that are set up to serve the community. But then along the way, the mission becomes to preserve the masjid of the organization. Do you find much resistance from charities when, when, you're, when you're trying to advise them on this? Of course, there's a lot of resistance because the other issue we have is unfortunately the Muslim community is fractured. It, we all operating in, we are all operating in silos. We're not working or cooperating with one another. And I think that's the important part. Every organization is doing good work. I'm not mm. diminishing anything. Alhamdulillah, one of the most amazing things that we have in the UK compared to any other country within the Western world particularly is we have a multitude of organizations that are doing fantastic work. But the key part of it is, is that we need to bring that together to work for the greater good that we, the community needs and that the ummah needs. And if we just work as individuals, that's where the biggest problem comes in. If mm. we think we're just going to preserve ourselves and everybody else is going to have problems, but we're going to be okay, know that eventually the problem will come to your door as well. We're seeing with many charities right now, the right-wing media, the, the Zionist lobbies, they are pushing very, very hard. And now charities who have, you know, you know, done good work all of these years suddenly they're being said oh no they've said this and they've done that and they've been called out anti-semitism mm. and all of these kind of things so we're seeing these problems arise um right now because of why everybody is working individually we have to be able to come together and look at the greater picture and that's what i meant that is each individual organization you shouldn't think of just yourself and to protect and preserve our organization we should look at that if we can protect and preserve the muslim community and the values that we stand for, then by default you will protect your individual organizations. Mm. I think that's one of the biggest things that we've done that we've said, look, anybody who needs support or help, we're out there. It doesn't cost you anything, it'd be totally free, but we're there to support, yeah. advise and guide because for us the vision is to see the Muslim civil society come together and to work for the greater good and to overcome the challenges that we are all individually facing. Why should all of us individually suffer when we can come together and build resolve and strength together in order to tackle these problems together? And if we can tackle it together, then you'll see eventually, inshallah, we can eradicate this problem from coming back and harming our community and the charity sector of the civil society. And therefore, mm. we'll be able to continue to do the good work that we all set up intending to do. Well, it sounds amazing, mashallah. I mean, one of the things that I would try and probe people on is what do those nice sounding things look like in practice you know um lots of people we've spoken to they're they're all kind of big on kind of unity and cooperation working together and one of the things i liked about human aid and advocacy was i remember once i think a few months ago i was like you know something happened um uh, somewhere in the world and i and i came to you guys and i said look are you doing anything for this and you said no <laughs> we're focusing on you know we encourage people who are operating in that country 
to we encourage people to donate to other charities that are operating in country XYZ so that we don't have to, not every single charity has to kind of work in every single country, but people specialize in certain areas um, and, you know, you, you encourage donor, donors to go and donate to uh, different organizations, charities. That way people can specialize, there's no, or there's less wasted resources in duplicating, you know, stuff was one thing that... Um, Kashf Shabir said as well a few years ago in a podcast that you know it's 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 ridiculous that if something happens in in uh, one country then every, you know, ten charities send their their you know their teams there and and this kind of wasted resources and so forth. So he was saying as well that he's been always trying to make it so that people specialize or people share resources in different charities and so forth. So that's one of the one of the things. Um, and uh, again, uh, what does working together look like? Another thing is, like you said, if you have an expertise in in, in advocacy and and, and you, you've got a vision to kind of move the charity Muslim charity sector into a particular place where they're fulfilling more and more of their obligations, then you're giving those um, that that advice, those policies, those sharing that research that you you guys have done. Shatubarakallah. Are there any other kind of areas where Maybe imagine if you're you're speaking to different heads of different charities right now, people uh, in the leadership teams of different charities. What's your message to them in terms of practically how do you come together and how do you fulfill that vision? A lot of it's going to be uh, individual change in, in, in your thought process and, and, and your mindset. And I think the moment we can create that change, that's when you're going to see the, op- the floodgates opening for more cooperation. Um, You've already mentioned, I think, in practice, we've been very clear that we believe in specialization, that we have thousands of Muslim charities in the UK. And if each one specialized, if each one specialized in a specific area, you will see great change. So, for example, if we have a specialized charity who only deal with water, just say they deal with only water projects, then every organization that works in a certain country should use that charity. For implementation of that project, because why they're specialists, their expertise, well, they know what they're they doing. Become. Exactly. Yeah. And similarly, if you've got ones who specialize in orphan care, in education, in home building, and so on, so on, then we can all come together and specialize. So, for us, we're clear. We only operate in seven areas, and that's it. We're not moving beyond those areas mm-hmm. unless, obviously, new areas open up according to the uh, vision, mission, purpose. And our vision, mission, purpose is what we're only there to support Muslim who are being oppressed due to their faith. Uh, and that means that we only operate in those countries where Muslims are facing persecution, occupation, you know, uh, mm-hmm. oppression in, in, the, in those lands. So we're only working, for example, in Palestine, in, in, in Syria, in Yemen, in Afghanistan, um, in Mali, and across the persecuted communities of the Uyghur communities, East Pakistanis, as well as the Rohingya. So we are very selected in the countries that we work in, and mm-hmm. we only specify in those what you would call man-made disasters. We want to be specialists in that. But even within that specialism, if you've got charities that specific specialize in water, we have no harm in working with that charity no. to say, let's implement those water projects within those countries that we operate in. I think the more we work yeah. to a specialism, the better we will start seeing cooperation between the charities. Mm. And likewise, you mentioned, you know, the earthquake in in, in Morocco, uh, the floods in Libya, the floods that happened last year in Bangladesh, in Pakistan. Mm. Um, there are no areas that we operate in. And so when donors came to us, we said, we know of charity X, Y, and Z. We named a few who yeah. we have trust with and we've cooperated with before. Awesome. We know that they're operating in those countries. Go and 
donate to them. Yeah, it doesn't make business sense. I know that it doesn't make business <laughs> sense because if I'm a if I'm a charity and I've got a donor, I'm asking my donor yeah. to go donate to another charity. But as far as we're concerned, it's the right thing to do. The mission and mission is more important than the business. Exactly, exactly. And in the end, I don't like saying this, but you you have the carrot and the stick as well, right? Yeah. And Alhamdulillah, one of the side effects or positive, depending on how you look at it, consequences of the Muslim community becoming more and more empowered is it will start to hold its institutions to account more and more. Just like with a masjid, um, that might be kind of a bit too um, risk averse. That could end up being more risky for a masjid in, in the long run. Because, for example, like the likes of Prevent or people who from the, the counterterrorism matrix want to kind try and kind of put pressure on um, charity organizations where they have no jurisdiction. Many Muslims, because they're maybe just, you know, polite individuals, they might invite them in and, you know, here, come look around, nothing to hide, that kind of stuff. But they don't realize that doing so in, kind of embeds them into a broader matrix which ends up harming them in the end. And these types of you know, um, people, they, they choose the path of least, least resistance. So if you just say, thanks, but no thanks, you can, you know, uh, jog on. They'll go to the next kind of, um, you know, um, next next uh, next house, like the kind of, uh, the, I don't know if it's true or not, the, 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 the parody of the, the the TV license kind of inspector. You know, if you let them in, <laughs> they'll have come, and, come and look around. But if you just say you get lost, they'll just go to the next house. It's, but, but likewise, if we are too risk averse um, when it comes to our charities and speaking up for our beneficiaries in advocacy, in political matters, in, in different areas, then we may we need to get the community organization to realize that they're actually potentially harming themselves in the long run because the community will see that these people are not carrying out the, the amana, the trust that they are, are put in. And if... You know, at a time like this, if you're not going to speak out, when genocide, many genocide scholars are calling genocide, is taking place. Uh, and at a time like this, because of fear of your own organization or position or whatever it is, you're not doing, you're not putting pressure on, which is completely, perfectly legal. And as you, you and, and human aid and advocacy, your research and your, you know, policies and your, um, your guidelines to the community that have shown that they're completely within charity law, they're completely within the charity commission guidelines. And even then, despite that, despite the need, despite the potential help you could do as part of a louder voice, despite the lack of real um, credible risk, even then if you're silent, then the community is going to look at these organizations and say, well, we, we, we refuse to support you now. We, 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 you know, we have to put your feet to the fire. And I don't like saying things like this because obviously we want to, you know, keep harmony and so forth. But, a, 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 an empowered community will hold its institution to account even more. So the, those charity organizations need to, you know, if, if, if it's not for the, the sake of their mission, if it's not for the sake of the Palestinians who are suffering, if it's not for the sake of those noble reasons, then at least for the sake of the continuity of your own organization, you have to, you know, fear Allah and fear the, 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 the impact, the negative impact from the community. A lot of the times we're seeing that that you know the saying goes the fear of an action is greater than the the act itself. You know, mm. you know, an example I, I give in, in in the parenting side is 
you know, when a child is, uh, when a parent tries to coerce their child by saying, you know, I'm going to smack you. You know, the fear of the smack <laughs> causes the child to uh, comply. But once you actually smack them, the child then realizes, oh, hang on a minute, is that it? You know, and so, you know, you see the action obviously being yeah. of no benefit. So the smack actually has no benefit, but the fear of it is there. And we're seeing a lot of that, that within our community, in, across the Muslim civil society, is that we're afraid. We're afraid something's going to happen. What's the something yeah. that's going to happen? And if the reality is, if we look at what's the worst that will happen, it's, it's nothing. Uh, because if we look at it within the UK, we have the ability to, you know, the breadth of the law is very wide. And we have a lot that we can do, which is all perfectly legal and uh, we're allowed to do. But we self-censor so much that we bring in this kind of almost like a very small bits of, oh, this is the only little area we can operate in because if we go here, there's going to be harm. What's the harm? Is it illegal? No. What you might get, what you might get is some pushback from your right wing uh, kind of media. Mm. You know, that's probably the worst thing that could possibly happen to you. Um, and this is the fear that we are taking that's kind of crippling us from doing any sort of action. Mm. And I think if you look at it, is this what the Prophet ﷺ would have done? And I think that's the key part that we have to always go back to. When the Prophet ﷺ brought the dawah out into public, you know, when he called publicly, yeah. you know, if you look at it, no harm was befalling him or any of his followers until the dawah became public. So a wise person might say, well, let's keep it private. You know, let's do it one-to-one, -one, then no harm will befall us and uh, everything will be okay. But that was not the mission. The da'wah was meant to be something that is in the public realm. And because of that, it brought on harms. And But that's the nature, that Islam, the, the principles that we believe in, yeah. the da'wah that we believe in, it has to go out and it has to proclaim, it has to speak. And nothing in our deen teaches us that there's going to be an easy road to it. You know, yeah. Yeah. You know even Allah mentioned the Quran, do you believe you're going to enter paradise without any difficulty? You know, this is not the reality of it, that we will do the work that we are supposed to do, and you will have pushback. But also, as long you, need as... To, you need to be worried, actually, if you're, everything's going fine and nothing's, you're not being tested in, any, yeah. in anything in your organization, your, in your charity, and, and, you know, you're just treating it like a normal nine to five, then that's something to be worried about. Maybe, maybe a bigger, bigger test is about to befall him. Allah protect Definitely. us. I mean, we, I need mean to... we saw that even after 9-11, I think a lot of the issues we were having was, you know, how did they launch like after 9-11, you had this whole war on terror. It started off with specifically terrorism and then the bar kept on changing terrorism to then violent extremism to then extremism. The non-violent oh, so, You know, the bar kept on changing. And we saw that yeah. many organizations thought, okay, no, 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 we're okay. It won't affect us. It's those guys over there, you know, but we mm. kept on seeing it move, move, move. So even those who are the most pacifist of Muslims. And now it's even affecting, you know, um, anti-fracking demonstrators, animal rights yeah. protesters, you know, um, climate change protesters. These, these, these policies are being used against them now. Exactly. So Something this is what said, we're seeing. Yeah. So the reality of it is, is if we keep on just living in our own bubbles, thinking we're going to be fine doing our own thing, you know, the reality mm. is that, you know, we're not. Yeah, and we're seeing it right now, probably being fast forwarded because of this current onslaught in Gaza that yeah. anybody, anybody who's showing any sort of support are trying to be uh, kind of uh, attacked by the right wing media, the Zionist lobby. But does that mean what they're doing is wrong? Is it illegal? 
And we're seeing a lot of the time, no, it's not the case. It's rather, you know, you have mm. the ability to speak, use your voice, know that the pushback will come. But if we can't come on this noble cause right now, you know, this is the red line. Palestine has always been the red line for the Muslims. And if we can't speak out now, then Allah knows best when, they will, yeah. we, when we ever will speak out. So, I mean, I don't want to be make this too negative because there are so many positives that we've seen. The community, I mean, every, everyone says this time is different. We know kind of the Israelis, they, they mow the lawn, um, as they call it in this, this, this kind of dark euphemism uh, for, you know, tragically ending the lives of thousands of uh, uh, blades of grass, as they, as they kind of uh, imply. Um, they do this regularly, and but this time, many people have said this time has been different. You know, the the advocacy from the community, the people speaking up, even from outside of the Muslim community, just generally because one of the one reason is because of you know, I guess Elon Musk's Twitter or X, you know, that the the information has been uh, so more readily available this time for from the Palestinian side. You know, one person said that the Israelis are telling you what's happening. The Palestinians are showing you what's happening, you know. Um, what have you seen in terms of this time, in terms of from, from your perspective as, as a charity that's involved in advocacy, how, what have you seen that's, that's different this time? I think the difference right now is, I think in previous um, onslaughts on Palestine or Gaza, it's uh, the technological advancements were different, so, i.e. social media, um, influencers and, and and the like this is becoming more and more prominent more platforms you know if you go back to uh, the 20 um 20, 2019 14. i think the last time and then the 20, 2014 19. the time before you know you didn't have things like for example tiktok an example yeah or the time before that you didn't have specific influencers so you're, what you're mm. seeing is new platforms coming new uh more influencers that are coming onto the scene and that's having a massive impact because now what we're seeing is while we are boycotting the BBC, while we might be not listening to a lot of these uh, uh, mainstream media outlets because they're only, at the moment, what we see is propagating, uh, you know, these Israeli narrative. What you are getting is on social media, the other side of the story. And especially from Palestine, you're seeing the live videos that are coming up. The testimonies coming from the people, and that's having an, a big, big impact. And I think that is also creating a greater amount of sympathy from the non-Muslims towards the Palestinian cause. And I believe that the general masses within the UK are more sympathetic towards Palestine than they are towards Israeli occupation and aggression. And I think that's been one of the biggest game changers that we're seeing right now. That also has been pushed on. Um, for people to really act and and there's been specific campaigns coming up of how Muslims can or how, how people who are pro-Palestinian can uh, provide that support to the Palestinians i.e. for example the boycotts the boycotts been actually we're seeing real mm. results right now and they've been coming out whether that's like the, the bankruptcy of Starbucks in, in Morocco or whether it's Puma saying now that they're going to be uh, ending the, the sponsorship of the Israeli national team um, they're actually seeing impacts and we're seeing it in the statistics as well mm. of you know the share values and, and the profits you know uh, kind of dropping within these uh, uh, organizations and businesses that are supportive of Israel and I think 
um, we're actually seeing because we get to because there's been a lot more uh, on social media things being shared. It's yeah. creating a lot more of a better platform for advocacy, and that's what we're seeing that people want to do something. They want to do more. Uh, right now, the general public, the charity isn't enough, and I yeah. think that's the key part. They want that guidance. They want to know what can they do more, because the level of devastation we've never seen before. I think that coupled with the current situation in social media and everything else has brought together the right ingredients for people to take action. And so we're seeing that big push on that. So whenever we're pushing out anything, giving advice, guidance, support on the advocacy front, we're seeing a great take up on that from the people that these are things that they're looking for. And this is a positive sign. Um, and I feel that, inshallah, the organizations who maybe have not been using their platforms before will feel that pressure mm. to now actually use their platforms and that will only bring about goodness uh, are you seeing uh, change are you seeing any 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 change in the in the in the mood or the culture of the charity sector there has been there has been because of two factors mm. one is some have alhamdulillah because again palestine was a red line for them realize that no we've got to do a bit more and so we're seeing some shifts in, in the way they speak in the language in some of the actions that they're taking which is good the other side is more of a reaction uh, in the sense that many charities have been attacked you know attacked by a lot of uh, trolls uh, right-wing zionist uh, kind of uh, genocide usual, enablers you know they, yeah so they've been attacking a lot more and as a lot of these institutions are facing that attack, a clearer or clarity is coming that, look, we need to unify and come together in order to support one another. And I think there, there have been a few meetings already and discussions among, collaborate, among a number of charities on how we can collaborate together Mashallah. in order to uh, basically support one another, fend off these, these attacks. That's one, the defensive. But number two is also mm -hmm. to be able to push out the right narrative and the right support that our beneficiaries need. So Alhamdulillah, there's been a lot more positive uh, push out in that regard. Something we've been uh, advocating for for a long time with many of the charities. We're now seeing this situation propelling or pushing forward that agenda even more than before. So what are the biggest actual credible kind of challenges that the Muslim charity sector is facing right now? Uh, the charities that we are seeing and speaking with and even ourselves we're seeing across the board the muslim charity sector especially since uh the installing of william shawcross who was the head of the charity commission uh back in 2012 if i'm correct is when he came in um his legacy remains which was the the kind of the islamophobic uh kind of witch hunt on muslim charities so, yeah, I remember he came in and suddenly there was like 55 Muslim charities under investigation or something right. like that. Yeah, and since then that legacy is And he's linked to continue. Henry Jackson Society, who's exactly. associate yep. director, Douglas Murray, has famously said, we need to make conditions for Muslims harder across the board in Europe. But obviously, yes. it put two and two together, it makes sense that one of his uh, kind of patrons or people in, in that organization that think tank would try and make make your make your life difficult as a, as a Muslim yep. charity. Definitely, and that was also after the... Um, the start of the Syrian uh, kind of conflict yeah. as well there. Well, alhamdulillah, the Muslim um, charities sector fought back, isn't it? And they they got some 
some key wins as well in the courts. Yep, definitely. There was yeah. a lot, and I think that's an important part. But we are facing mm. that that undue scrutiny or the extra scrutiny uh, mm. of Muslim charities from their mm. institutions, i.e., the Charity Commission. Um, we are seeing a lot more of that. Um, even from Human Aid, we were kind of very much targeted um, on one of the inquiries that was done, and we did pull it out very much in the public, in the media. Uh, this is an Islamophobic witch hunt against uh, against us uh, specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of it, they you know there was nothing to of substantial concern um, that that when the inquiry ended, there was nothing. There's no follow-on action, no yeah. reprimand, no punishment of any sort, which then goes on to vindicate the fact that their attack was very much um, Islamophobic or very much targeted. So we do see that Muslim charities, even right now, from because of the issue mm-hmm. in Palestine, are also being picked up, questioned by the Charity Commission a lot more. So, yeah, Charity Commission has always been an issue that exists uh, for Muslim charities. The other side is also the media. So we're seeing a lot more articles coming out attacking specific Muslim charities, again, right now. We were seeing it over the course of many, many decades when Muslim charities have been basically scrutinized and attacked. Um, so again, the ability to be able to get kind of the media, the narrative, the PR, you know, these are some of the difficulties that Muslim charities are also facing. Additionally, two other key areas is the banking. Uh, we know of the closure of many, many uh, bank accounts of individuals, but also of institutions and organizations. Um, and so how can a charity function without a bank account in this modern day and age? Um, and it's something that really we feel that the Charity Commission should be lobbying and calling for because if they're asking for ensuring funds are fully uh, auditable, uh, scrutinized, then you don't want to be putting Muslim charities in a position where they have no bank account and they are only operating in cash because then that will only raise yeah. your concerns even further. So, you know, that becomes an important part of banking. And the last one is also we're finding a lot of Muslim charities when you have their Muslim delegates who are going to other countries in order to implement projects, to oversee projects, to do reporting. Those aid workers are being criminalized at borders. Um, so via the Schedule 7 and counterterrorism legislations, the Muslim, Muslim aid workers are being unduly harassed uh, and targeted. Mm-hmm. And we're finding that generally these are four key areas, the commission, the media, the uh, banking, as well as the counterterrorism. Those four are the key issues Muslim charities are facing right now. And uh, we've experienced a lot of this ourselves and harassment from that. And because of that, alhamdulillah, we've got some experience from our own experiences, um, some knowledge there. And we're always open to provide support, advice and guidance for other charities who may be facing similar problems. And we're always calling for charities that's come together and see how we can collectively tackle these issues because they're affecting everybody. Um, so somebody, might be, somebody might be thinking, oh, that sounds too scary. I'm just going to kind of put my head down as a charity and, and just focus on my bit. But that's not going to help them. It's just going to kick the can down the road and make it more diff- make them more isolated. So the answer is to, you know, practically do your work as a charity. And when these challenges, expect these challenges and mitigate them by getting in touch with, for example, humiliating advocacy, making sure your governance and all of the, your documentation, your risk assessments are in order properly. Um, so how do they get get in touch with you? Oh, they can very easily just jump onto our website, and um, They can email, they can call us, they can ask for me. Um, it's one of the things that I've been providing some support to some other charities at the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key part of it, which is that we want to support other charities. Yeah. We want an element of togetherness, 
because we're all facing the same problems. Some mm. of them may be that we're publicly speaking about it, and there's others who may be silently suffering, and they don't know where to go or what yeah. to do. So I think this is the key part that you know we're willing to provide that support. We've, if we've experienced something, then it becomes only incumbent upon us to provide that support to others so they can overcome their challenges and their difficulties. And it can only, sure. it can only strengthen them as an organization, as yes, a charity, inshallah. It will only strengthen them, inshallah. And, mm. and that's, that's been our key aim, that we want to bring community together. Mm. Uh, it's not about the name, you know, it's not about anything like that. It's rather what's going to be in the best interest of our Muslim community here, as well as our ummah abroad, who we are serving through these charities. It's, it's the most vital thing. And when we can bring that together, then you're going to see the greatest impact and the greatest change taking place, inshallah. Inshallah. And in terms of just your general general Muslim community watching, how can they get involved in human aid and advocacy and, and support the work? Um, similarly, they can go to our website. There is a tab on it says get involved and, and they can volunteer. You may have different expertise. It could be in, in the media. It could be in marketing. It could be in... In fundraising, it could be anything really. Um, if you've got anything, any time that you wish to give support uh, in any way with your skills, then by all means, just get in touch um, via the link on the website. Go to humane.org. There's one called Get Involved, and this is Volunteer. And then you can follow that through, inshallah. And then Excellent. our team will get in, uh, respond back to you, inshallah, with the uh, available kind of roles that you do have that you can get involved in, inshallah. But the key part of it is, is we want to create people who would advocate the message. And our message, you know, the vision that we have is to see a world where believers can worship Allah free from the fear of war and persecution. And if that's something that resonates with you, inshallah, then definitely get in touch, get involved, become an ambassador. Inshallah. And donate as well. Donate always. But I don't think I have to always say it. Inshallah, it's great to see that, you know, the, the Muslim charity sector is, is, is heading towards a a stronger direction of more empowerment for the for the betterment of all beneficiaries and the ummah at large, inshallah. Um, you know, we were speaking to Sufyan Ismail a few weeks ago about the importance of an institution building and this is this is a key uh, key one for the Muslim community in the UK and, and the Ummah at large and, and even you know the whole of humanity, you know. Uh looking at the, the 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 causes and trying to advocate for, you know, longer term um success for uh, and, and liberation for oppressed people is, is something that, it, it, you know, it resonates with everyone. And many people have been saying for years that, you know, uh, and also in a condemnable way that, oh, what's the point of charity? You know, we shouldn't, we shouldn't have that attitude, but we should be given the charity in the humanitarian sense, but also funding our community projects that are working on advocacy for, you know, um, attacking the root causes of, of oppression and, 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 and man-made suffering. Uh, around the world, so Zakmal Khairan for, for you know, to to human aid and advocacy for taking a lead and and bringing the community you know, along that journey with them and enrolling them uh, more and more organisations and people in, into that vision. Um, I uh, I've got a few few quick fire uh, questions just before we we wrap up, inshallah. Um, so just just answer the, the 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 first kind of thing that comes in your mind. Name a recent book or audio book that you would recommend that you recently. I read or listened to? Um, the book I recommend, it depends, it comes on uh, a different area of work, uh, my parenting side. Okay. Um, so one of them is on, uh, it's called, well, what is the book name going from my head? Um, I'm totally blank. Obviously it had uh, a huge impact on you. 
Yeah, it had a massive impact. I forgot the name of the book. Uh, it's called. So you're uh, you're a you're a parenting consultant as well. And you're, yeah, that you, is. Your, your and, thing is uh, uh, your your organization is called Involved Fathers. That is correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So this is usually my, my 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 biggest area um, that I'm obviously mm -hmm. I work in as well as the role in the charity sector. Yeah. Um, but you have you on to quiz you about that as well one day, inshallah. Yeah, inshallah, yeah. definitely. Um, why have I totally forgotten the name of the book? This is the worst part of it. <laughs> if you remember really it, bad. and we'll put it. If you remember it, it sounds me really it, bad. Yeah. And we'll put it on screen now. Okay. Okay. Uh, second question: Which gadget, other than your phone, do you value the most? My Surface. Your Surface. My, my yeah. Surface Pro. Yes. Yeah. Pro 9. I, I I had one of those for a few for a year or two. I think. So yes. I have it. I bought it out of. Um, out of spite and in uh, in 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 uh, protest of Mac, but okay. uh, of Apple, but then I had to go back crawling yeah, back a few years later. That's right. I think uh, it's it's my it's my desktop wherever I go. So that's Absolutely. why you know it's something you know, but yeah. All right. Which website or app would you encourage others to visit or download? I love these quick fire questions because you really put my mind on the blank. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right now, you want to go to a website? Go to the BDS website. Yes, mashallah. Yes. Excellent, mashallah. And finally, finish the sentence. If our audience would remember one thing from this podcast, it would be advocacy. Advocacy, mashallah. Zakhlah Khair, bro. Noor Chowdhury from Human Aid and Advocacy. Thanks for sharing uh, your thoughts. And uh, we'll see you soon, inshallah. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Wa alaikum wa rahmatullah.